We pray. Lord Jesus, you came into our world to connect with us and to forgive us for our sins, to bring us into God's family. We ask you to come to us now and send your Holy Spirit to us now through your word. Uh, Strengthen us this morning and encourage us as we look at our life in this new year and as we look at what it looks like to live our life with you and and for you. Bless our sermon time today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. The old man had had a difficult life. He had seen his homeland get devastated by war and the capital city get completely destroyed. He had seen all of his closest friends get persecuted and finally killed for their faith. He had been chased from his country. He had spent years in exile. He'd endured all kinds of hardships. But this old man, who's probably about 100 years old at this point, was not complaining. Um, He still had important work to do. So he took out a pen and a scroll, and he sat down to write a story, a, a history. The events that he was writing about had happened more than half a century before, and yet in his mind they were just as fresh and recent as though they had happened yesterday. Back in the days when Jerusalem was still standing, a very unusual man had arrived in the region of Galilee. He came, it was said, from a tiny little village in the country. He didn't have really any formal theological training, and yet he traveled through the countryside preaching and teaching God's word the way that nobody had ever been able to do it before or since. And then he did all kinds of amazing miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons, causing the blind to see And what's more, he claimed that he was the light of the world, that he was the bread of life, that he was the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. In other words, he was claiming to be the Messiah, the long-promised Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for for 2,000 years since the days of Abraham. He claimed to have come from heaven and to have such a close connection with God the Father that he could honestly say, I and the Father are one. This Jesus of Nazareth had made some pretty incredible claims. But the old man, writing this history, he believed every single one of them. Why? Well, it's not because he was getting senile in his old age. And it's not because he had been misled by all the myths and superstitions about Jesus that had come up over the years. No, it was because he had been there in person. Back in the day when Jerusalem was still standing, John the Apostle had walked with Jesus. He had talked with Jesus. And he had seen it all. You think about the different things John had seen. He had probably seen thousands of different miracles in public and in private. He had seen Jesus' glory shining on the mountain of transfiguration. He was the one sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper. He was the only disciple who watched Jesus' crucifixion. He stood in the empty tomb on Easter. Then he saw the risen Jesus Easter night with his own eyes. Then he touched the risen Jesus with his own hands. And he watched Jesus eat a piece of fish to prove that he was really alive. A few weeks later, he watched Jesus ascend into heaven 
but not before giving his disciples the command to go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. But John had seen all of it. This is someone who knew not just the basic facts about Jesus' historical life, but he knew the man himself. He knew the sound of his voice, his sense of humor, his personality, his character. I think you could make the case that nobody else in the world knew Jesus of Nazareth better than the Apostle John. Now, 50 years later, John picks up his pen and begins his gospel. And the entire purpose of this history that he's writing is to convince his readers of the same things that John and the other disciples had become convinced of, that surely this man, Jesus of Nazareth, actually was the Son of God. So, our sermon text today is the very beginning of John's gospel, just the first few verses. And you might expect a history of somebody's life, like a biography, to begin with their birth. But John starts his history of Jesus just a little bit earlier. Here's where it begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So in these verses, we can see why Jesus could make the amazing claims that he made and understand God's word as perfectly as he did and, and do all the miracles that he was able to do. It's because he was true God. The same God who in the very beginning had created the entire world out of nothing. But shortly after the world had been created, the world fell into sin. And we know that story. Adam and Eve eating forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. When that event happened, God made a plan to save Adam and Eve and all of their descendants. And that plan involved sending the word, that is Jesus, on a mission into the world to accomplish something through which even fallen sinful people could still one day enter heaven and be with God eternally. God was going to send a savior and the Savior was going to be like uh, a breath of fresh air to a world that was suffocating, like a, like a drink of fresh water to a person dying of thirst. He was going to be like a light shining in the darkness. But there was just one problem with this Savior. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It says, he was in the world, and even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He was coming to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So in 33 AD, even though God's Son came to the world, just like God had said, through the Jewish nation, just like God had said, born of a virgin, just like God had said, and doing amazing miracles, just like God had said, it was his own Jewish religious leaders who handed him over to be crucified. Fifty years later, as John is writing this, this gospel, even though Jesus had risen from the dead and appeared to many people, and even though Christianity had spread like wildfire all over the Mediterranean world, it was already being weakened by a dangerous false teaching, which is the idea that Jesus was not really God. He's just a human being. And still today, 
even though the Bible has been preserved amazingly down through the ages, anybody that's taken Bible basics class, maybe you can picture that page of ancient documents, and there's nothing like the Bible in its preservation. And even though the Bible has been translated into thousands of different languages, making it the most read book in the entire world, even though Jesus is so famous, I think anyone you talk to would probably have heard the name Jesus Christ, yet typically, Jesus is not even the main attraction of his own birthday party at Christmas. I mean, he's there, like maybe in like a nativity scene, but the little baby in the manger is kind of wedged in the corner to make room for the main attractions of presents and cookies and shopping and Santa Claus. So it's just as true today as it was in John's time that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Why is that? Why is it that in every age, God's own son, when he comes to the world, gets such a bad reception? Well, the answer is simple. It's because he came to a sick planet, right? If, uh, if all the people on this earth were spiritually well, then when those angels came to the shepherds and told them the Savior had been born, they would have gone to everybody else in the world. Everything would have stopped full celebration for the Son of God and we would have rolled out the red carpet for our newborn king. If all the people in this world were spiritually well, then at John's time, there would have been no false teachings about Jesus circulating in the New Testament churches. There would have been no misunderstandings that maybe Jesus wasn't really God. And there would have been no need for John to sit down and write a fourth gospel when three perfectly good ones had already been written. If all the people on this earth were spiritually well, our Christmas celebrations today would be like entirely encouraging and motivating and so Christ-centered and refreshing that we would be heading into the new year as refreshed as we could possibly be. Well, to be fair, if all the people on this earth were spiritually well, I suppose Jesus would not have had to come and die on the cross in the first place. But the fact is that people of this world are not spiritually well. We are all born spiritually sick, spiritually blind, spiritually confused in our sin. And so we are unable by nature to see things the way that they actually are. We're unable to see that it is best for God and not us to be in charge of our life. We are unable to see that it is best for us to put other people's needs ahead of our own. We are unable to see how selfish we are actually being much of the time. But most of all, we are unable to see just how serious of a rebellion our sins are every day against the God who made us. So still today and still in our own lives, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. So let's think about darkness for a minute this morning. You know, there are some things that are hard to do in the dark, like walk through your kid's room without stepping on any Legos. Uh, there are some things that are dangerous to do in the dark, like drive on Highway 285 without any headlights. I've seen people doing it. It doesn't seem like a smart idea. Uh, but there are some things that would be absolutely deadly to do in the dark, like perform an open-heart surgery or operate heavy machinery, or cross a minefield, 
And navigating, trying to navigate through this life without a Savior, looking only with our own sin-darkened eyes, and trying to somehow find our way through it, and then find our way to God and eternal life at the end, is just as deadly of a task. In fact, it's entirely impossible. But this is why, for us, God turns on the lights. And the Apostle Paul says that so beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, that God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It's kind of like a lot of clauses after each other, but do you see what that verse is saying? The same God who in the beginning of the world, there's no light, and he just said, let there be light. And light was instantly there, not from the sun, not from the moon, but just from God. Creation out of nothing. That God has created that same kind of a from-nothing creation in our hearts. When he made his light to shine in our hearts. He came to us lost in sin and darkened in our thinking and not seeing things correctly. And through the good news about Jesus, God turned on the lights so that we can see Jesus for who he is. He is our sure and certain path to heaven. So on Christmas Eve, we, we just marveled at the fact that God would even want to come down to our sinful world and connect with us and give us a Savior. Today, we marvel at the kind of Savior that we have. He is fully God. He is fully human. And he is both of those things at the same time. And kind of like with the kids, like if you can explain to me how this works, then probably you should be up here preaching a sermon instead of me. But uh, the fact is, no one knows how this works. God doesn't explain how this works in the Bible. The, the dual nature of Christ is a miracle. But we don't have to understand it in order to appreciate it. And in order to recognize that sin had separated us from God and this kind of a savior, this kind of a mediator, was exactly what we needed to reconnect us with God once again. A person with a foot in both camps. So you just think about it. Jesus is true man, and he's also true God. He has to be true man so he can relate to us. So he can go through a life that has suffering and pain in it. So he can feel sadness and loneliness and loss. So he can be tempted. So he can die. And yet if Jesus was only a person, he could never be our Savior. He might have been a really good person, but it would have been only for himself. If he was going to rescue us and save us and lift us up to heaven, he also had to be true God. True God who could live a life with no sins. True God who could take that life and make it count for us. True God who could suffer an eternity of punishment for all the sins of the entire world in one afternoon on the cross. And true God who could rise from the dead. So God and the human race had just been totally separated by sin. The only way to be reconnected was by a mediator with a foot in both camps. And Jesus did it. He rebuilt our relationship with God and gave us a brand new status that we could never have enjoyed otherwise. And John describes that status like this. He says to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I almost lost my page. Um, Children of God. But I think that uh, verse shines maybe more beautifully today 
than it ever has in the world before, at least in recent memory, because we live in a world where there are so many broken families. Just thinking about this this week, and how God tried to set up human beings for success, right? So that there would be a father and a mother staying together and raising their children and teaching them to know God's love. And yet, for just a million different reasons, this is so often not what our families look like. This is not our experience so often. There's so much conflict and division that many, many people are left today wondering what it's even like to be part of a functional family. I don't know the story, the full story of every family that's here today, but I do know this. Like these verses from God are a beautiful promise to every single one of us. Because these verses assure you that no matter who you are, and no matter what your upbringing was like, and no matter what scars or trauma or emptiness you might have in your heart because of your earthly family, through faith in Jesus and through the power of baptism, you have been adopted into a heavenly family that is absolutely perfect. You are children of God. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and cares about you and listens to you and provides for you far better than any earthly father or mother ever could. And he's never going to stop. One day he's going to give you an inheritance of eternal life in his heavenly kingdom. And that perfect eternal life will be so wonderful that it will more than make up for all the shortcomings of this life. That's God's promise to you, that you're children of God now. So old John, writing his gospel, he, he had had nothing close to what would be considered an ideal life. Again, he had seen his homeland get devastated by war, its capital city pulled down and destroyed. He had seen all of his closest friends persecuted and killed for their faith. He had been chased out of his country, lived in exile, endured all kinds of hardships. And yet he considered himself as blessed as anybody on the face of the earth. Not because he got to see Jesus, but because he got to see Jesus for who he actually was. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What had happened is God's grace had overcome John's sinful blindness, and it had allowed him to see Jesus for who he truly was, fully God and fully human, our perfect Savior, our ticket to eternal life in God's family. And the reason why, God, why John wrote his gospel was so that you and I could see the very same thing. At the end of John's gospel comes one of my favorite verses. John is just a little different from the other gospel writers. He writes so just candidly and openly. And so after describing everything about Jesus, Jesus' resurrection, and all the things that had happened, John takes a moment and just puts in a, a personal footnote. So this comes from John chapter 20, all the way at the end. Here is what he says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that by believing, you also may have life in his name. And may God simply grant that to each one of us. 
for the sake of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your perfect Savior. Amen.